Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Godzilla. This is a special commissioned episode by Greg Bishansky who asked us to cover the original 1954 Godzilla. However, being familiar with it and knowing we probably wouldn't get the richest conversation out of just looking at that one film, devoid of the historical context of its legacy, we decided to also cover the first, in brackets, second, attempt to bring Godzilla to American audiences with the Roland Emmerich film of 1998. And then, to look at where the character stands now, we're going to give the literally dozens of Toho Godzilla films a miss and look at the 2014 Gareth Edwards-directed American film, which kick-started the Monarch Monster Uni- I almost said Monster University. Monster <laughs> Universe of Mike Wazowski. A franchise which is doing a little better right now than Universal's Dark Universe, or indeed the currently directionless DC Expanded Universe. With us, we have a man who has seen a whole bunch of those Toho films uh, made in between, Mr. Neil Taylor. Hello, and yes, quite a lot of them. Hello, Neil. Uh, So just to reiterate, Sharon and I will not be going to detail on the following movies. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, that's the uh, remake of... Actually, no, we can can sort of talk about that a little bit in this, but, uh, you know, the films that came afterwards, Godzilla Raids Again, uh, King Kong vs. Godzilla, Mothra vs. Godzilla, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, Invasion of Astro Monster, that's uh, Godzilla vs. Monster Zero, Ibira, Horror of the Deep, Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster, Son of Godzilla, and I am Son of Godzilla! And Godzuki! Destroy. Talk about that. I used to like that. Destroy all monsters. All monsters attack. Godzilla's revenge, obviously, because you destroyed them all. Godzilla versus Hedora. That's Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. Godzilla versus Gigan. Godzilla versus Megalon. Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. Terror of Mecha Godzilla. The return. We're only at nineteen eighty four. The return of Godzilla. Godzilla nineteen eighty five. When does Mecha Barbara Streisand get into it? She came in the nineties. Godzilla versus Bioland. Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. Because he hadn't versus him before, had he? Godzilla versus Mothra, that's Godzilla and Mothra, the battle for Earth. Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 2. Godzilla versus Space Godzilla. Godzilla versus Destoroyah. Godzilla 2000, Millennium Godzilla 2000. Godzilla versus Megagirius. Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah. Colon, giant monsters all out attack. Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. Godzilla Tokyo SOS. Godzilla Final Wars. Promise? Always Sunset on 3rd Street 2. What? And Godzilla Resurgence, Shin Godzilla, Godzilla Planet of the Monsters. Then there's the 1998 film Godzilla, which we are covering, and the 2014 film Godzilla. (laughs) If you didn't guess, there's a lot of Godzilla. Every time we say Godzilla, folks, take a shot. (laughs) And for the record, out of all those, put it this way, I haven't seen two. 
Oh, my God. See, that's why we asked you on. You're an expert. <laughs> Are you ready for this? The shocking thing, the two I haven't seen, Shin Godzilla uh-huh. and Godzilla Planet of the Monsters. Um, the two recent the, ones. The two, the two right. recent ones. Okay. Um uh, can, can you could you briefly summarise them? Because as far as I can tell, these are much more fun. Than, like the original Godzilla that we're about to talk about is very very serious and symbolic. And then after that, it's blokes in suits running around the place, b- bashing into each other in Tokyo type sets. Don't uh, forget the space monkeys that built Mecha Godzilla. How could I forget the space <laughs> monkeys that built Mecha Godzilla um, and Jet Jaguar? Yeah. So so yeah. The, these these ones are much more fun, much more kind of kaiju movies. Uh, yes. And, and and as far as I can tell, that there like lots of people in rooms talking about what's to be done about this Godzilla, also, or is it what's to be done about this um, Mecha Godzilla too? Well. Does Godzilla just mean godlike lizard? I don't know because bear in mind we're pronouncing it wrong. Godzilla. That's true, actually. Yeah, it should be Godzilla. What the um, Monarch universe is trying to do is sort of tap into this. So they're gonna. They've started with uh, a sort of a sober. They kind of try to have their cake and eat it. But we'll 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 get to that when we talk about the 2014 one. Try to one. feed their cake to a Godzilla. Like, it's supposed to, to be that Godzilla is a natural disaster, but it's also a fun creature feature with uh, kaiju fighting each other. So we'll talk about how that succeeded or failed later on. But um, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. Not, uh, to be honest with you, not all of them. Are like, I'm trying to remember which. You'll have to forgive me. I think it's Godzilla versus Destroyer or Godzilla Millennium. It's the one where he dies. There is one where he dies. Right. It didn't. It's, it wasn't effective though. Right. It, it, it didn't stick. Yeah. Um, my, my personal favourites actually are Godzilla Tokyo SOS and uh, Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. Uh, that's actually got quite a little bit of a dark story to it so in the, the first i think it's godzilla against mecha godzilla which is the first one which the way this kind of works is every so often they reboot and it's basically no all of those sequels didn't happen this is a direct sequel to the first one which right. is what this film falls and japan builds mecha godzilla to defend themselves against godzilla right yeah and guess how they build it with monkeys on the bones of the dead godzilla that attacked them in 1954 right it gets kind of dark in that. Final Wars, though, does have a very funny scene in it. Um, Godzilla turns up in, I think it's Australia, because they're being attacked by a giant lizard that's very, very familiar, especially if you've seen the 98 film, and it lasts all of 10 seconds. Right, so they, they, uh, as, as I think I've seen those scenes, so that means that the Roland Emmerich version of Godzilla turns up and goes, ah! and then real Godzilla kicks its ass, throws it into Sydney Opera House, and the Opera House explodes. Yes. Yes. He's dead! (laughs) Godzilla died on the way back to his home planet. (laughs) False Godzilla. Thou shalt worship no other Godzillas than me. So that was uh, that was Toho reasserting itself and going. Sorry, you you guys screwed up. And we're going to show you quite how much was, you screwed up. That was Toho going. No, that was just really embarrassing. Look, yes. go away. If he died in Godzilla two thousand, does that mean that twas the Y two K virus killed the beast? Y two K got rid of Mecha Godzilla. To be fair, summarising up, it is the classic kaiju stuff. It is basically you tend to not pay attention to a lot of the plot because sometimes a lot of the plot is really bad Hmm. but um you see it for the fights and some of the craziness that happens in it i'm sure everyone's probably seen the gif of the godzilla flying dropkick that's quite a fun one 
I, I have not seen that one. I do remember being transfixed by King Kong versus Godzilla, where he sort of gets lowered onto the battlefield on balloons, and he's like kicking his little heels, and he comes like rolling down a hill towards Godzilla, and they have a very fast little fight, and he looks like Mr. Bolo from uh, The Mighty Boosh. <laughs> it's a man in an ape costume. It, yeah, it's a which really it would be. bad costume in that film. Yeah. Which yeah. And it's an old ass one, though. This idea of King Kong versus Godzilla has been around for so... I think it's literally been around since Godzilla turned up. Bear in mind, King Kong obviously was first because he was... Is he 1934? 33. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, King Kong was 33. Godzilla, Gojira, was 54. Then there was only Godzilla raids again before King Kong versus Godzilla in 62. So, yeah, that's that kind of kicked it off. I actually quite like that one. It's not, it's, it's not a good film, but it is enjoyable. <laughs> The other thing that's missing off this list, which I beg you to include some of the sound from, um, is, of course, the Chewitz adverts from the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) We took the muncher to some of the best places to eat in the world. He ate the Taj Mahal. Yeah. The Leaning Tower of Pisa. The Empire State Building. But not one of these buildings could match the delicious, chewy flavors of Chewitz. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Chewitz are even chewier than Barrow in Furness Bus Depot. Fantastic effects. <laughs> I, I do love how Chewitz got away mm. with you. Because here's the other thing most people don't know. You have to be so careful if you use any sort of giant lizard whatsoever because Toho will come after your ass. They'll come for you. Uh-huh. They really will. That's why Lizzie in the Rampage movie looks very different. Right. Right. Okay. I know that, that um, uh, is it, uh, who's the big turtle who's nothing to do with Godzilla from a, a rival studio? Meanwhile, Guillermo del Toro works with bioluminescent, genetically modified googly eye monsters. Yeah. <laughs> Gamera is huge in Japan uh, and has had his own like uh, line of films. No way, like Gamera 2, Attack of Legion, Gamera, Guardian of the Uni verse just the universe all of them the whole everything in the universe gamera versus gaios gamera versus guayon gojipedia like there is a whole japanese kaiju culture which we are only scratching the surface on in this show uh and it, it sprang up uh here and uh you know it p- persisted and went out you know way beyond just the godzilla movies and uh mighty morphin power rangers obviously started like in, in japan the, the the super sentai series you know, with their own kaiju and sort of the getting humans involved with that. And that went on for ages before it became what we know as the 90s version of Power Rangers. And then that's gone in that direction. Do, have you seen the, the new Power Rangers movie, Neil, by the way? I have not. That's, again, it's on my list to watch because mm. you have sang its praises. And I I'm really curious. liked it. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that's put me off is I'm told that it's about a, a very long build-up to a very short fight. And it's like, oh, it's a shame because I, I, I always love the cheesy actionness of the Power Rangers. Yeah, it's 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 light on on fighting, but it's it's heavier on, like, the... the I mean, the build-up for me is the important bit. Oh, um, yeah, 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 I don't get that. Mm. Also, um, they weight the fight with a lot of significance that it's yeah, not just... it's not just a, a, a fight. It's it's a, sort of a culmination shiny, of a lot of these characters which they're out. slapping each other. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, oh. so yeah, Power Rangers has done its thing there, and and then uh, you know, do you ever do you ever see Robot Jocks? Yes, I have. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> no, yeah, don't don't bother with the sequel though. There's there's a okay. good advice for you. 
Um, but yeah, but that's yeah. that's on Netflix. That's kind of like a prototype um, Pacific Rim. In fact, the creator of it said it was it was kind of trippy watching Pacific Rim because he was seeing like his uh, creation done really really well many years after the fact. And there are many like little nods and winks and like, well, that's straight out of Robot Jocks. Like the the point when the um, Jaeger goes like pounds its fist into its open palm, boom, like just like ready to fight. That's straight out of Robot Jocks. And um, we only saw that for the first time a couple of, I didn't even heard of it a couple of weeks ago on, on Netflix. It's, it's, it's a weird combination of this is way better than it has any right to be. And, um, oh, that, that moment was kind of crappy and sucky. Well, what was that about? And then it turns out it's got two creators, one of which wanted one thing very significantly different to the other. <laughs> Indeed. As often happened with sort of the eighties sort mm. of lower end uh, sci fi movies and stuff, which is a shame because Robo Jocks is really good. Yeah. Okay, so on to Gojira, the nineteen fifty four film. Now, the plot of the first black-and-white movie is simple. A Pacific island is ravaged by a sea creature awoken by nuclear testing. The creature moves on to Tokyo and lays waste to the city. Eventually, a small team of scientists achieve what military might cannot and kill the monster with an oxygen-destroying device. It is a mournful ending and a hollow victory. That's Gojira. But back in 1954, it was only 10 years after the atomic bombs were dropped on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The nation was scarred in so many ways. And just as the superhero boom of the 2000s, which continues to this day, can be traced back culturally to America's response to 9-11, Godzilla and the various kaiju movies that sprang from this era can most definitely be interpreted as a country trying to make sense in some way of the devastation to home and family, to live with it, even embrace it. The rationale of the filmmakers was that mankind had created the bomb and now nature was taking its revenge. By the end, Japanese audiences were empathising with the beast, unsettled by American nuclear power, as they were. Godzilla isn't malevolent, but he is destructive, too big and dangerous to live, and so comes off as more of a, of a tragic anti-hero like King Kong. He was a victim at the mercy of unspeakable scientific horrors. There was a, another version of this film, which, which plays through very somberly, uh, and that's uh, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. That's the Americanized version. What, what can you tell us about this one, Neil? Because it came out in 1955, a year later. So this is the one that had uh, basically had extra bits spliced in. I cannot remember the actor's name. He was, put in to, he was basically put in to add context for American audiences. Mm. So he uh, he narrates, oh, Lord, the creature is now tearing down downtown uh, Tokyo. And uh, he um, it, it's it's a way of making it palatable because they wouldn't want to read subtitles or, or just a. Uh, it's it's kind of sad to think, actually, that that American audiences couldn't even have listened, uh, watched a dubbed version of this, just played straight. Yeah, it's it. Hmm. Or that they weren't I, trusted with that. I I think a lot of that sometimes comes down to a, a studio doing it because they think they won't do it. And it, it it's one of those vicious cycles where it reinforces it because mm. we laugh because they don't. A lot of people don't like subtitled films. I do. I mean, I went to see Akira 
when it got re-released a couple last year and it was so happy it was the subtitle version because that's the one i know yeah but you know a, a lot of people don't it's like what do you go to the cinema for do you go to relax well if you go to relax you don't want to read subtitles but you start enforcing that thing that the audience don't want subtitles mm. if a film You're is good enough people, yeah, yeah pe- people will watch a film with subtitles if the content is there to, to draw them in and what you tend to find that happens is they stop reading the subtitles they don't care what's being said they're following what's mm. going on on the screen the uh, another thing that's possible uh, and i haven't actually seen godzilla king of the monsters it sounds kind of painful to watch uh, is that they needed a little bit of a buffer to take them away from the very direct sense of uh, cultural guilt associated with, wow, let's watch the people of Japan get devastated. I feel bad. I, I thought there was a bit of a nod to that in um, Colossal, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, oh, we haven't mentioned Colossal. Colossal is a fantastic kaiju film. I will stop interrupting Sharon. Continue. That's okay, no problem. Um, I don't want to go into too much about what Colossal is about, um, but there is a monster, mm-hmm. and it is presented, um, first of all, it's seen through YouTube videos to begin with, so there is that sense of distancing, and it it's, exists on this tiny little screen. Um, and secondly, the the format of the film itself and how the monster operates is a distancing measure yeah um and um that the what the film is working towards is a reconciliation of that the uh, the actual process of watching god Gojira itself it's it's like i say it's somber it's a it's a bit of a grind because it's it, it's it's very old very basic it, it, it's edited and, and paced of its time yeah, yeah and there's there's a very strange um like music cues, for example, uh, there's the scene where the they're getting to ready to counterattack Godzilla, and they're using de- the, the fleet with the depth charges. Yeah. It's, it's it's stock footage, and it has this really weird, cheerful, plinky plonky <laughs> music at the time. I don't mean that as in Japanese. It's just this weird, cheerful, upbeat music, and it. I remember getting to that bit going. That feels out of place. Yeah. But I mean, I love this one because it is this grim, dark. Well, maybe not grimdog, but it's this grim, slow build of a film. It's, it's very different from the... I mean, don't get me wrong. The reason I love Godzilla is the later kaiju movies. I remember collecting them when they were on video, and that's how I've seen most of them. Mm. Because here's something we didn't mention. If you're a Godzilla fan in the UK, you are damn out of luck, because mm-hmm. they never, barely ever release anything over here. Yeah. I think melancholy is probably the word I would use yeah. to sum it up. And, Rather and than grimdog. I, yeah. I absolutely agree about the, the sort of plinky-plonky music earlier on in the film, but it, it mm. shifts when it gets to the end. Mm. Um, and that was one of the things that I noted was that the music sort of has this very melancholy tone to it um, when uh, Godzilla is killed. Yeah, they draw out that death scene at the end. It doesn't just happen like that, and it's certainly not a, we got to kill this thing. They, the, the professor in it, Shirazawa, doesn't want to kill Godzilla. The only reason that, that he agrees to is because they, they get him to listen to the choirs of, of mourning children um, lamenting the the destruction of the cities and the, the deaths of their families, it's um, it, it's kind of a you've got to do this or this will become the norm. Yeah, it is intriguing how his objection is presented though, because there's kind of two facets to it. There's the idea of well, we created this beast. Mm. It's you know, do we really have the right to take its life away? And then there's the intellectual: we should be studying it, not destroying it. Mm. Perspective, um, and they're, they're not. They don't dwell massively on on sort of the difference between those two, but it's 
it was kind of fascinating that there's there's not just one reason to pursue and one reason not to. Mm-hmm. It could definitely be, have been expanded upon. It should definitely have been expanded upon in the 2014 film when they have no excuse not to make it multi-layered. Uh, with, mm. I mean, that there's a film that could really have done with a four-point conflict with one person wanting one thing, another person wanting another thing, and then two other people who... Uh, this is um, explored in uh, a video I saw recently about how Batman Begins sets up its three villains and Batman all in opposition to each other, technically. I mean, even the one the villains who are allied to each other have different philosophies, and that can make for a really multi-layered film. And when your main villain, as it were, or that the main thing that's making stuff happen is just a... that, you need to have that level of human uh, debate at the core and I think from the sounds of it a lot of the uh, kaiju movies uh, kind of attempt to have that where they're sort of talking in rooms about it but they make it less dynamic and more sort of just a build up to we're finally going to see these two creatures scrapping in suits it does and I think part of the difficulty there is that earlier than a certain point you have to have the human element to contextualise it because otherwise you're just looking at a big Cthulhu squid beast that's too big Mm -hmm. for us to really comprehend. Um, But you can't really put them in the same shot because one of them is a very staccato moving uh, stop-motion animated beast or... uh, furry lizard on a stick oh it was never stop motion it was always a guy in a suit okay okay but you you can't put that in the same shot with humans and not have it look weird neil has it ever been in the same shot of humans and not look weird weird? (laughs) no it's never looked weird is it always a bit silly I always say that adds to the charm of it. Uh, mm. For example, the, the later ones, Tokyo SOS and that, where the miniature detail is absolutely gorgeous. Mm. It's not quite, I won't say it's ministerious, you know, Lord of the Rings miniature style detailed, but it's enough, but it's still fun because you know it's a guy, and it's still the guy in the suit and everything, but mm. yeah, it, it does look weird. What are the uh, logistics of, of the poor sods actually in the suits? Do they have cooling systems, or was it just a case of <laughs> in the first we're going to blow you with some fans? <laughs> no, I think the, I think the guy passed out several times in yeah. the first suit. It, it, it was it's I, I'm trying to find the weight of it. It was ludicrously heavy, and it's a two a two part suit. So imagine the bottom half held on by suspenders is the legs and the tail and everything, mm-hmm. and then you've got that top half on. And I don't think as well in that first suit, he could see where he was going that well. Yeah. And so a lot of the destruction rubber. is accidental, which is kind of appropriate for Godzilla. And it's like, I think the suit was rubber or something yeah. along those lines. And could you imagine being in something for that long? And I think he lost a lot of weight as well because sweat was yeah. obviously an issue. So the suit would have been a lot heavier when he tried to take it off and he'd have to sluice out all the yeah. air. Gross. Yeah, but uh, but yeah. So the, the this is an actor who suffered for his art. Mm. What's the name of the uh, guy who was in Godzilla? Um, the suit as much as possible. Oh, I don't remember, and I don't want to attempt to pronounce because it's yeah, me and Japanese names do not get on very well. Uh, Katsumi Tezuka as Godzilla and newspaper desk man in the original. <laughs> also, Haruo. Oh, Nak- Haru Nakayama. Yeah, that might be uh, the the main guy. Uh, yeah, Japanese actor best known for portraying Godzilla in 12 consecutive films, starting from the original Godzilla until Godzilla vs. Gigan. 
Um, another very striking aspect of uh, this first Gojira film, the music. Uh, we we mentioned that there's uh, one or two times where it's like, well, that's a little weirdly inappropriate. But the main theme, you all know the one. I'll, I'll play it now because it is an earworm. that driving it's something about this the fact that it can keep cycling over and over again and every time it peaks it goes back to and it can just start up again you could do the whole film with that thing and it would be fine it's relentless yeah and you know what else it reminds me of what or another very famous theme that sort of has that sort of style to it it's Jaws has Godzilla ever fought a massive shark a megalodon N- not that I can remember but bear in mind I, it's been a while since I've seen a lot of these films but no get on that That's, missed opportunity I was going to say he's ideally placed he spends a lot of time in water yeah. my money is on Godzilla on that one I don't think it's a, it's a no contest <laughs> Yeah, just pick him up and rip its head off. No, it's just hold it out of the water, isn't it? Nah. Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> no. <laughs> do, you, do you remember uh, towards the end of uh, Finding Nemo where Dory holds the crab up? It'd be that. Yeah. yeah. Back to the music. The like I said, the, the the music at the end, the melancholy choir music, and then like, as soon as the, the choir starts singing, like every piece of music from that point onwards is really effective. It's it's got a, a an excellent ending. I think. The weakness of the film is probably the build-up. It takes a long time to get going. It's about it's fifty minutes before Godzilla actually starts attacking Tokyo, and but w- once it's there and it's sort of underway, it's only an hour and a half uh, film, and which is, you know, totally sit throughable. Uh, and I, I think I'm, the only version I've seen is on DVD. I'd really like to see the Blu-ray of this and see it you know, it's, as crisp as it can possibly. Do you be. want to know what the kicker is? What Criterion released it on Blu-ray. And Criterion make it region locked, right? Or yeah. if they release the UK version as well. I, I have never seen a UK version, otherwise I'd be on that, but I do know it has a Criterion release yeah. and it's like, I want that. Criterion uh, diligently region lock everything. Because they don't want us to have their wonderful editions. And their, their stuff, I mean... If I if I could have this, the amount of classic Japanese films that they've done as well, it's like oh, I hate you guys so much. Hold on, let me just check. I was talking thing. to a couple of massive Wes Anderson f- uh, fans at work the other day. Never heard of Rushmore. Where? What? H- how is that possible? Because it's hard to get hold of. You can get it on DVD at least. Just ordinary DVD. Yeah. Okay. Wow, though. Yeah, uh, Region A locked, the Gojira uh, Criterion Edition is. And I know that uh, apparently there's a, an isolated score for that. 
because I've been looking into isolated scores recently. Uh, started off uh, by uh, Matt Wetter. I was like, oh yeah, I remember isolated scores. They were a thing on DVD. Apparently it's uh, it's less common these days because they had to pay the uh, artist for, for royalties every time they did that. Uh, a lot of UK DVDs actually have the isolated scores of American DVDs. They just don't tell you in the menu. So if you go uh, through with the uh, changing audio button, it'll be like track five or track six, whatever the last one is, just the isolated score which sometimes the viewing experience can be like long periods of silence and then but um i've got on the way sharon for us to sit down and watch Mm -hmm. the dark crystal with isolated score you're welcome she's hugging me i cannot hear (laughs) Uh, it's only the uh, american version apparently which uh, has that i had to buy that uh, but however you can get it on i got i picked mine up for like three pound fifty on amazon so you can search around but it's only one specific edition of it ask me which if you really need to know on twitter uh, but yeah, apparently the uh, uh, Gogeta Criterion Edition for all of you lucky, lucky Americans. Ironic, isn't it? <laughs> uh, you guys get to experience the uh, the, the full version, and it's uh, yeah, from from by all accounts, extremely uh, uh, accomplished version of it. Um, I would also mention that the uh, it's very significant that the weapons of the military are utterly ineffective because. If you think about how Japan would have been placed at the time in uh, in 1944, they've got the defense tanks force, yeah. and planes. They've got you know military uh, and, and uh, infantry. They've got a navy, but none of that's any use against the atomic bomb. This is one of the things that I think is fundamentally bad about the 2014 version. But we'll talk about that when we get to that one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And the, uh, the there's a scene where the, the mother's sheltering her children in terror, and and the, and the child is is crying. That's heartbreaking. There's something I yeah. I have to admit I found watching that scene really really hard this time yeah. round because yeah. I'm I'm a dad this time. So yeah. yeah, that was that was really hard. That's one of those uh, scenarios that really hits home in a way that all the, all the you know Hollywood regurgitating the my dead family trope doesn't hit like that just the the idea of someone who isn't uh, a flinty-hearted man able to commit revenge on like what is this it's a godzilla you can't have revenge in that same way and actually there is an element of that kind of in godzilla 2014 yeah the the, the overall effect of watching the original godzilla is um sobering melancholy serious and you kind of have to accept its pacing rather than expecting it to be exciting. And once you do that, you'll realise that, I, I don't say this lightly, that film is a masterpiece. Hmm. It is it is worthy of the fact it has a Criterion collection and of the fact that it is so well-regarded and well-respected. But if you go in expecting the later films in the first film, you'll be sorely disappointed because it is not that. This is a film that is trying to make a very serious point. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of the only one of that massive list we read. Neil, are any of the others trying to strike that same serious balance, or is it always? For fun? I think there's some more ones, but like I said, it's been so long since I've watched most of them. It's and a lot of them end up merging into one yeah. another. So clearly, but none of them had a, a massive impact. That you're like, whoa, this version suddenly brings it back to uh, to the, the chilling, nothing, original. Nothing like the original. The original mm. is literally the original is king. Yeah.
let's move on to Godzilla 98. I'm just leaving the room now. <laughs> <laughs> In the late 90s, the director and producer-writer of Independence Day got hold of the Godzilla license and threw together their picture under the headline, Bigger is Better. Despite a neat teaser in which Godzilla's foot crushes a T-Rex skeleton in a museum, the film turned out to be an insect on the backside of Jurassic Park, a film it both publicly declared itself as superior to for reasons of scale and constantly copied moments from. The helicopter at the beginning, the chasing of the car, the raptor-filled third act and the wreck showing up at the end all being standouts. This 98 Godzilla was so far up inside Steven Spielberg's anus that it also copied moments from Jaws, the dock sequence being a prominent one, and then there was King Kong, with the great beast rampaging around New York, hounded by the army too big to survive in this civilised terrain, climbing the Empire State Building, roaring at the sky, and ultimately dying tragically at the end in a scene that actually feels a bit closer to Peter Jackson's King Kong than the original. Mm. By the way, in case before people start tweeting at me, I'm well aware that Peter Jackson's film came uh, seven years afterwards. All of these winks and shameless nods spilling over into straight-up nicking would be well and good if the film itself was strong enough with a measure of depth and character of its own. Some moments that marked it as unique and memorable, but that didn't happen either, and the experience of watching it is arm-chewingly long, drawn-out and painful. The cast of characters are all irritating, tedious and shallow, and the only thing that you can really commend is that despite being incompetent at pretty much every aspect of filmmaking here... Emmerich and Devlin, having fallen from a great height from the still really good Independence Day, at least maintained their hearts in the right place, politically, unlike Michael Bay, who has the black eyes of a doll and believes in nothing but the almighty dollar, and who will, without considering the consequences, fire up the right and demonise scientists, making liberals appear dangerously weak and silly, and football players the real heroes. That's not what Emmerich and Devlin do. They have their eyes on being kinder to each other at, at, its, at the heart of their films. Literally one of the notes I wrote down was, this is like a Michael Bay movie, but less mean. Yeah, so <laughs> there is at least that. But it has its fans and it's okay to like a movie. But there are so many other films out there that do the fun bits of Godzilla 98 so much better. So I can't feel to be baffled by that affection for this lazy slapdash affair. With some of the most dated, cringe-inducing CGI effects of its day being the final prehistoric nail in this gigantic coffin. You know what I love? The fact that this this is like a, one of the big budget blockbuster movies and they cast... Matthew Broderick in 98? Yeah, that's puzzling. Hi, Matthew Broderick. <laughs> oh, I guess better. Then you throw in Hank Azaria, who... I like Hank Azaria, just... That is not his role. No, it's so weird. Right, do you know what? Matthew Broderick, that's his role. Yeah, switch him. <laughs> yes. Make Hank Azaria the lead guy. Yeah. I'm fine no, no, with no, no, this. No, 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 no. I would rather... because uh, Not I'm Animal, sure. just Hank Azaria playing a much better no, character. No, I was just to say, if you're going to make anyone the lead, you make it Gene Reno. Oh, because yes. I love that man. Mm. But he's, you, he's always awesome. You're trying to sell it to Americans, and they're not going to want to watch The Professional, but they're not going to want to watch Matthew Broderick either. So what, the, what are well, they yeah, thinking? This, this, this is not... It's this is not, David. Yeah. yeah. It's not the 80s where, you know, we had Ferris Bueller and things like that, and, mm. and War Games. This is 98. This yeah. is a very two This is addicted later. to love, uh, Matthew Broderick. <laughs> oh, <laughs> ouch. Yeah. Maria Patillo uh, as Audrey Timmons. 
don't know where that came from. Um, <laughs> this was like her, a career killer. She was, she was offered this massive role in a massive new film, and then she was in very little else. Because this swept the Razzies. This was, you know, it, it got all of the, you know, the, the worst for that year. And uh, um, Alastair, one of uh, our very favourite people, recently commented that the Razzies were maybe second only to cinema sins in terms of actually doing harm to cinema. And that's definitely a discussion to be had later because oh, I've, yeah. I've never really been all that bothered by the Razzies, but they haven't helped anyone. No, or they anything. haven't helped, and I I think the only time you ever want to pay attention to the Razzies is when someone actually turns up mm. and goes, "Yes, I." I kind of like that. Halle Berry, yeah, holding her Oscar for Monsters Ball. Yeah, thank you, Peter, for putting me in this piece of shit movie. Oh, my God, the vocal effects of these creatures in the uh, 98 version. I can't believe We Hate Movies didn't mention this in their excellent show on this, which I'm going to try not to quote. I'm already doing their version of Matthew Broderick. We're voiced by Frank Welker. We got welkered. We didn't even know it. Oh, yes. You got Simpsons as well. Read the cast list. Oh, yeah. And then... It's mostly the Simpsons cast in all sorts it's of strange places. Two thirds of all the prominent male characters in the Simpsons. You got uh, Hank Azaria. You got Harry Shearer as the voice of the newscaster, and you know he's also he's he's basically Kent Brockman. And uh, you've got a, a, a weird sudden appearance, like blink and you'll miss her, of Nancy Cartwright, who's Bart yeah. Simpson. Why all of these Simpsons? Also, was Dan Castellaneta not available? Just go for the hat trick at this stage. Like you know, in all seriousness, those three men in a car researching Godzilla, and they're all dweeb scientists. I am fine with that. Yeah, that would actually. I'd watch that. Yeah, and one woman who's a bit more streetwise and is like, "Oh, you guys." That would have been a good film, I think. Like that would have been potentially better than these guys. Like. Uh, Hank Azaria's character is this, hey, you guys, like, this, <laughs> he's got this um, wrong straw. You see, I, I, sad to admit that I think my favourite role of Hank Azaria in live action is still Night at the Museum 2, because I just love the campy villain, and I don't know why. I'm terribly sorry, Neil. My favourite role is the Blue Raja. <laughs> oh, oh, that is good, but I don't know. I just like him as the villain in. I just for some reason I have a really soft spot for Night at the Museums. Hmm. Well, one and two, I still haven't seen the third one, but. Okay. Uh, was Robert, was that like Robin Williams' last film he was in? It's one of his last, if yeah. not the last, I don't know. Anything to talk uh, to not talk about Godzilla? And <laughs> okay, yeah, can yeah. we just get back to something you were saying about not being mean? Yeah. Okay. Okay. There, there is a little bit of I meanness didn't say in it's there. Not it's, mean. It's, it's, not it's not as mean as a Michael Bay, which is way. perpetually mean. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's not much. Well, no, there's Eli Roth. Let's move on anyway. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they do take a bit of a poke at Siskel and Ebert in this oh, one. Oh, yes, Mayor Ebert. And which his is really, Gene. Which is really funny because outside of the States, no one would get that. Yeah. Even today, it's. I mean, yes. I mean, I know Alex knows we do, but we we dig into movies lots, so and we know who these people are. Mm. But outside the United States, that joke's going to just doesn't work. I'm going to just check Independence Day and just see what what uh, um, it is something to do with that. Yeah, I think I'm going to guess that Roger Ebert gave it a thumbs down. Ebert. There we go. Uh, the first third of which the spoof news report on the events of the film, Roger Ebert attributed most of the film's early success to the teaser trailers and marketing campaigns, acknowledging them as truly brilliant. He just said that marketing campaigns were truly brilliant. How could you how yeah, could you bear a grudge against Roger, Roger Ebert? Roger Ebert's 
praising your marketing campaigns? Is that because he, he can't find anything to praise? You, you want, okay, you want to know you want to know how you hold a grudge against them? Go back and look at the bullshit they spewed out about eighties horror movies. Oh right, okay. They wow. uh, they they did not help their cases there. Honestly, the uh, if you actually look at old Siskel and Ebert stuff, they barely have any time to talk about the movies because they're on prime time American. They spend ninety percent of the conversation telling you about the film, and then f- like a minute saying if it was any good or not. And like relative, compare that to the like three hour dissertations you now get on YouTube from really popular from us. channels. <laughs> Uh, and and yes, there is, of course, from us. <laughs> but at the time, the movie critic on TV was kind of the enemy of the trashy blockbuster producer. But it always strikes me as like, don't do that whenever a a, a, a director deliberately singles out a critic in their film, villainizes them. Uh, like uh, Shyamalan in Lady in the Water. Yep. It's like, don't do that. E- Ego in um, Ratatouille where they uh, get uh, the, the wonderful Peter O'Toole. In many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to our judgment. We thrive on negative criticism, which is fun to write and to read. But the bitter truth we critics must face is that in the grand scheme of things, the average piece of junk is probably more meaningful than our criticism designating it so. Oh, bugger off, Pixar! There's a kind of critic who always strives to shape their analysis into some kind of commentary or insight as to how art and entertainment affects and is affected by the human condition. You're not telling me Godzilla 98 is more valid than movies with Mikey. And there has to be, like, a merry war between uh, directors and uh, uh, critics would be fun to watch. But there's a difference between a merry war and spiteful swipes. And pettiness. Yeah, and pettiness. Uh, anyway, anything to not talk about Godzilla 1998. So, do you remember when we did Die Hard 2, Neil? And we Vaguely. kept, kept getting, like, we yes. talked so on point about Die Hard 1 that first week, and then the second Die week we, we like, wandered off. just kept wandering off track each time. So, anyway, that's just some info on the film. Screenwriters Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio, who went on to do Batman v Superman, and I believe actually had a controlling hand in one of the many scripts for Star Wars Episode 9. Uh, were tapped to write the script for Godzilla 98 and submitted their final draft in 94. Earlier that year, Jan de Bont, he of speed, became attached to direct and began pre-production on the film for a 96 summer release. De Bont's Godzilla would have discarded the character's atomic origin and replaced it with one wherein Godzilla is an artificial creation constructed by Atlanteans to defend humanity against a shape-shifting extraterrestrial monster called the Griffin. So, Mechagodzilla then? Kind of. Stan Winston and his company were employed to do the effects for the film. Winston crafted sculptures of Godzilla and the Griffin, and DeBont later left the project after TriStar refused to approve his budget of 100 to 120 million. And presumably at that point, Stan Winston also left because he realised he wasn't going to get paid. Maybe. Uh, it's important to note, by the way, the uh, the final film weighed in at 130 million. So oh. TriStar was saying no, 
to this. Now, Yann de Bont went on to direct Speed 2 and The Haunting Ooh. and Twister. Ooh. So uh, it's not like Twister's his... okay. Yeah, I like Twister, but, uh, but it's not like his version of Godzilla would have been necessarily fantastic. So Winston ended up... I kind of want to see that. I would far rather see that. But that is... That's Mecha Godzilla. That's exactly what I said! <laughs> yeah, um... It, this was going to be, uh, you know, like a completely different film. And frankly, considering the dismal film that we got, I can only wish that we got the other one instead. I will say one good thing about this film. Godzilla the series, the cartoon series, was really fun. Okay. But it was basically kaiju stuff. So I actually, I was on Netflix and I ended up watching the whole thing. I'm not saying it's outstanding. It's not Avatar thing. But damn right, it was just fun. Made no sense teaming it up with the film, but it was just fun. Well, prior to the release of Independence Day, Roland Emmerich and producer Dean Devlin signed up to do Godzilla under the condition that they would be able to handle the film their way. Devlin said, I told Sony that I would do the film, but on my terms, and with Godzilla as a fast-moving animal out of nature rather than a strange kind of creature. Okay. It's a lizard the size of a building! Here's the thing, (laughs) Devlin. Um... Godzilla ninety, sorry, Godzilla twenty fourteen, and the kaiju in Pacific Rim move relatively slowly. Like Godzilla twenty fourteen specifically moves really slowly. That gives a sense of scale. When Godzilla's moving too fast and he's massive, you don't get sold on the scale. Yeah, it's um, look at Jurassic Park. Look at the T Rex. There's only one scene where you see it move. I know I'm talking the original. Uh, there's only one scene where you move it, see it moving at speed. All yeah. of the times it's slow, yeah. but its impact when it moves is it, it is astounding. You think about the chase scene in the. I mean, it's tense. Don't get me wrong. The, the chase scene in the, with the GP is tense, but all of the times when it appears and it's slow and deliberate and mm. methodical, and the you feel the weight and the size of the creature. Oh yeah. But they regards scale. They don't know what they're doing with this in terms of scale. Oh, immediately. It changes all over the place. You see a foot next to one thing Mm. and it looks one size and then they show it next to something else and the scale has changed and now he's got a little tiny foot. Emmerich and Devlin were the first filmmakers approached by the TriStar executive Chris Lee to do Godzilla but initially turned the offer down. Devlin stated both of us thought it was a dopey idea the first time we talked. It was. When Chris came back to us, we still thought it was a dopey idea. Despite praising Elliot and Rossio's script, Emmerich discarded it, stating, it has some really cool things in it, but it's something I would never have done. The last half was like watching two creatures go at it. I simply don't like that. That's like the entirety of the Godzilla back catalogue. Yes, it really is. Better, much it's better to have the last. Like it. Much better to have the last half literally be that the raptor chases in Jurassic Park, but without any of the flair. Emmerich instead uh, decided to develop new ideas from scratch. (laughs) (laughs) From scratch, huh? (laughs) Stating, I didn't want to make the original Godzilla. I wanted nothing to do with it. I wanted to make my own. I I do kind of like this. I I love hate Ronald Emmerich. (laughs) I get the idea of making it your own, but the the tone of the way he's dismissing the original after we just talked about all its serious themes. Yeah, dumbass. We took part of the original movie's basic storyline in that the creature becomes created by radiation and that it becomes a big challenge. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Let's just mention the fact. Yes, it wasn't the Americans that created it. It was the French. Time, was yeah, we're blaming the French this time. Well, yeah, because it can't be us. Timing-wise, mm. didn't this um, fit in with when the France French were testing, testing in the, in nuclear the, weapons mm. in the Pacific? Yeah. 
but that's all we took. Then we asked ourselves what we would like to do today with a monster movie and a story like that. We forgot everything about the original Godzilla right there, and we remembered everything about Jurassic Park, Jaws, and King Kong. Creature design. Patrick Totopoulos, uh, he was the guy on your favourite film, Neil, uh, Chronicles of Riddick. <laughs> and also Pitch Black. And uh, he also did the creature design on, uh, sorry, the design on Thor. So there's a certain look to, to what he uh, puts together. Totopolis showed this uh, concept drawing. By the way, his name is Patrick Totopolis. It's not hard. And nope. the, throughout this movie, Matthew Broderick's character's name is Nico Totopolis. And everyone goes, Nico Tatatopolis, Nico Tapapopolis, Nico Tutopopolis. Comedy! And it's like, this must have emerged while they were like, let's get this Patrick Toto Plossus to come in, come in and show us the creature designs. And Patrick was just come in and gone, Totopolis, it's Greek. It's not hard. And then they were like, let's work that into the script. We'll call our character Totopolis. Even if you say it phonetically, it's Tatopoulos. Yes. but uh, uh, Nothing anyone says in the film sounds even remotely like it. Totopolis. It's not hard. No, it's not. Totopolis showed his concept drawings, his personal favourite to Emmerich and Devlin at Cannes 96, which convinced them to move forward with the project, so they got Totopolis instead of Stan Winston. Emmerich decided to completely reinvent Godzilla's design because he thought the original Toho design didn't make sense. I put it to you, Mr Emmerich, that you do not make sense. Emmerich also discarded the previous design approved by Yann de Bont, stating, I saw the creature they designed for TriStar's attempt. Yann de Bont created Godzilla that was very close to the original, but that was not right because today we wouldn't do it like that. I like your thinking there. <laughs> I'm having trouble trying to sleep. I'm counting sheep but running out. Time ticks by Still I try No rest for God Tops in my mind On my own Here we go Totopolis was hired by Emmerich to design Godzilla. According to Totopolis, the only specific instructions Emmerich gave him was that it should be able to run incredibly fast. Godzilla, again, like, get rid of that whole idea of scale. It's got to be able to run incredibly fast. What that then looks like is a regular-sized raptor running around a giant model village. Because that's what's happening. Yeah, you want to be a big cop in a small town? Fuck off up the model village. And that's what Godzilla did. <laughs> <laughs> even knocks off a big spire. It never looks like he's actually in New York. No. no. The trouble is, I, I've seen that, I've seen that pitch, that original concert. It's a great looking creature. Mm-hmm. Not the words, great looking creature. Uh, never once did I think, there's Godzilla. <coughs> at least with the 2014 movie, you look at it and go, oh, it's Godzilla. That's definitely Godzilla, yeah. Uh, Godzilla originally conceived as a robust, erect-standing, plantigrade reptilian sea monster was reimagined by Totopolis as a lean, digitigrade, uh, bipedal, iguana-like creature that stood with its back and tail parallel to the ground. So like a T-Rex, then. Or a raptor. Yeah. Godzilla's colour scheme was designed... Sorry, Godzilla. Can't call it Godzilla. It's not. Was designed to reflect... Call him Zilla, because that's what he's called now. Okay, just Zilla, then. And blend in with the urban environment. At one point, it was planned uh, planned to How does a giant freaking lizard blend in with anything? Uh, Arrested Development narrator's voice. He didn't. (laughs) Oh, no, 
No, no, no. There has to have been a scene where he stood there with the thing off the top of the Empire State <laughs> over his head. head. Something like this, ever... hoping nobody notices. Chrysler him. building. <laughs> that pointy like... one's the Chrysler. Sorry, the Chrysler building. It's like that scene where it, it, there's a hole in the building. The helicopter's looking at the hole. Where'd it go? Yeah. And it comes through the building behind him. He's like, seriously, it's a giant. Freaking lizard! It would make. It doesn't have stealth mode. <laughs> He's got this vision of a spotlight shining over the bay from a helicopter swinging backwards and forwards trying to find it, and then it stops on the Statue of Liberty, <laughs> and it's Godzilla with a torch in one hand, standing really still, like I don't know what to tell you, sir. It's God. Or maybe a helicopter's like flying around trying to find him and Godzilla's sneaking around with the Chrysler building bit on top of his head and then the helicopter turns around and goes Ring! Hey, where's that giant copper fox doing in Central Central Park? Oh God, I was going to say at some point they should have had Matthew Broderick walking around with a little flashlight going no, he's not there. And the foot's right behind him. But they did that with the footprint at the beginning. Yeah. Oh. <coughs> or, or maybe just like, um, like Broderick's crossing the street and he's looking for Godzilla, and just like in the far background, you got do 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 do. We're giving the creature far more personality than it ended really up having. Are. He's gonna like be poking out his head from behind the building with a cigar, going, "Am I a stinker?" <laughs> At one point it was planned to use motion capture from a human to create the movement of the computer-generated Godzilla, but it ended up looking too much like a human in a suit. So they made it look like the T-Rex badly, polygonally developed. Good lord. Do you know what you could have done, guys? Got a human in a suit. I know that's what the original did, and you didn't want to do anything the original did, but hey. Yeah. Uh, Totopolis took inspiration from the Jungle Book in terms of Godzilla's chin, stating Sheer Khan, because he's got that massive chin. It looks scary and evil, but you respected him. I thought, let's give it him a chin. And I felt it still looked realistic, but he had this different thing that you hadn't seen before. What a chin? chin? Cousin, why not a horn or a spiky tail? (laughs) Something that you're, you know, used to seeing on a lizard. Just so Godzilla can go, Jimmy Hill. <laughs> Emmerich and Devlin also abandoned Godzilla's iconic atomic breath in favour of power breath, wherein their Godzilla would simply blow objects away by exhaling a strong wind-like breath. However, news of the power breath leaked on a Stone Age internet before the film's release, when out- which outraged fans and forced Emmerich and Devlin... Oh my god, guys, be prepared to be more outraged. And forced Emmerich and Devlin to make last-minute changes on scenes involving the, pow- the power breath. Effects supervisor Volkel Engel stated, Dean and Roland wanted this monster to retain a certain menace and credibility. But Godzilla's breath is something everyone expects to see at some point. So they kind of came up with instances in which you would see something like the old breath, but with kind of a logic applied to it. We made the assumption that something in his breath which comes into contact with flame causes combustive ignition. So you get this flamethrower effect which causes everything to ignite. As a way to make the Godzilla a threat to mankind, Emmerich and Devlin also gave the Godzilla the ability to lay hundreds of eggs via parthenogenesis and rapidly spawn offsprings that could spawn offspring of their own and quickly overrun the planet. Parthenogenesis is where a uh, non-gender specific animal uh, impregnates itself and lays eggs. They don't need uh, males to uh, to help in well, that. Well, specifically, thing. they don't need a second. Yeah. Um... What this reminds me of is: Do you remember the Street Fighter movie? 
the, the one with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah. Where they went, right, this is silly. Let's make a credible version of Street Fighter where there are all real-world reasons why they end up wearing their costumes. And what oh. they ended up creating was very, very silly. So they traded one sort of silly that makes its internal logic, it makes its own sort of sense for something which makes no sense internally. Right. Here's the problem. The more serious you try to make something, mm-hmm. the more people will laugh at it. Yep. It's literally the difference between Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter. Yeah. Mortal, Mortal Kombat, Kombat did not take it. itself seriously. Oh, yeah. And yep. you rolled with it. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, when I say um, the more seriously you make something, the more people will laugh at it. I mean, the more serious you make something that is, in of its nature, silly. Yeah. Mm. Unless you're really, really good at what you do. Toho's reaction. Veteran Godzilla uh, actors... <laughs> they haven't stopped laughing yet. <laughs> um, uh, ...were critical of the film and its character. Uh, Nakajima stated, Its face looks like an iguana and its body and limbs look like that of a frog. Body of a wolf, legs of a horse, eyes of a priest, mind of a wasp, hair of a chimp, postman shin, nose of a crab, and a buffalo anus. Blackbird's head on a raven's torso. Can't really tell with that one. It's a subtle one. To which Emmerich replied, that's the whole point. Satsuma walked out... His name is literally Satsuma. Walked out of the screening of the film uh, at fan convention G-Con in Chicago, stating, it's not Godzilla, it doesn't have his spirit. The Godzilla on the film was con- considered so different from Toho's Godzilla by the fans that the audience, uh, the term Gino, Godzilla in name only, was co- uh, coined by critic and Godzilla fan Richard Pusateri uh, to distinguish the character apart from Toho's Godzilla. Kaneko pondered on the treatment that the character was given by the studio, stating, it's an interesting that the US version of Godzilla runs about trying to escape missiles, Americans seem unable to accept a creature that cannot be put down by their arms. And there it is. Yeah. It should... And at the end, they bullseye it with those missiles and they do kill it, as opposed mm-hmm. to these don't do anything. Yeah. Oh, shit. I had never even interpreted it that way. Well done. Because the oh, whole yeah. idea of uh, American military might being futile yeah. is not something that you can put in a film like this. You know where you can put it? The Iron Giant, you can put it there. Yeah. And it works so well. Yeah, really does. It took the god out of Godzilla, and it has appeared in other media simply as Zilla. So, yeah, you're absolutely right there. Yeah. <sighs> it's, uh, yeah. I think the, the, maybe the worst part for me is, do you remember the, the bit on the dock where this little old man's going to fish, and it's like, yep. I'm going to catch a big one today? And then this massive thing starts pushing towards him. It's like, wow, that's actually really cool. And then the little old man goes, oh, no! and turns around and starts running away like a feeble little old man and he outruns it do you know what i thought of when i saw that scene what i think it's from jaws yeah were the two drunk you don't know it is that's the scene from that they nicked from jaws yeah but like at the end of that scene in jaws the guy survives so they had to match that they couldn't have their godzilla kill the old man because the kids would go oh the poor old man godzilla killed him should have eaten him that is you're maximizing the threat of your monster well like just the little poor little old man should just have been tossed aside as godzilla just pushed straight through and just went fuck it like if a little old man can run away from godzilla who who's bearing down on him and escape, and not because he's particularly wily, you've just depowered your big lizard in before he's even turned up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not just that, the Hank Azaria scene. 
Mm. Oh, yeah, it stamps on him. And he's like, oh, luckily I was in between the toes. Got a little toe jam on me. But uh, otherwise, I'm okay. So that you can be stamped on and happen. borne down by, and you can be have fire breathed on you by Godzilla. The whole thing ends up like one of those jiggle box rides at Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. Like, you're on this ride, but it's a stupid ride. Yes. And it has, it looks like the 90s Universal Studio <laughs> rides, like uh, the, the Spider-Man ride. It's got that <laughs> shitty graphics in it. This and you know what's really weird? The year before we had The Lost World, because I just have to look this up. Yep. There is a scene where they are fleeing the T-Rex, and the T-Rex yep. stands on someone. Yep. To, uh, honestly, The Lost World is like Jurassic Park in comparison to this film. Sarah! 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 How many Sarahs do you think are on this island? Just little moments. Yeah, um, no, I, the last one is not bad. It's it's definitely better than three. It's Benny Hill with dinosaurs, but at least you got that John Williams score. David Arnold did the score for Godzilla, but the two don't compare. Yeah, no, the, uh, even Honest Trailers said that uh, Jurassic Park 3 will be the film you're longing to see instead of Godzilla 98. <laughs> yeah, this movie. Yeah, and then they end up running away from these Godzukis at the end. Ugh. And I, I, I'm going to say again, the graphics on show here are like screensavers. It is hideous. The thing that, like, Jurassic Park kept the dinosaurs on screen for, what, 13 minutes or so of actual, like, full screen time, and they did as much as they possibly could with practical and only went to uh, CG when they absolutely had to. They got the lighting right so that they wouldn't have to, like, really see it close up, and wow, that's janky as hell. Like, not have to see faces so much, you know? If you're going to have your humans right next to your monster, it needs to look like they're on the same fucking plane of existence. Yeah. Uh, to clarify, Jurassic Park has 14 minutes of dinosaur screen time. Six of those minutes are CGI dinosaurs. And look what they achieve in those six minutes. None of that in this god-awful film. And like, like I said, it has its fans, and I don't, I don't want to make you guys feel bad. I hate making people's joy disappear. Do you know what? I don't if, feel victory there. If anybody can watch this and get enjoyment from it, I admire you. Yeah, well done. Uh, again, just tell us via, via Twitter what's like good about it. You don't have to prove anything. No. We will trust that you like it. We aren't going to dispute it with you. I feel like, like I said, whatever you say, I'll be like, okay, so you, it's fun. There's no other movies out there that are fun. <laughs> I find a little enjoyment. I can watch it, but I, my brain will switch off. My brain will stop going, mm, okay. Yeah. Especially when you get to the end. Hmm. I, it, it, the idea, the big climactic end is not a showdown with Godzilla, but with the babies, which the are basically yeah. raptors. Yeah. And then you, you do get Mama back for a bit, and then they kill her. And I did actually feel for that Godzilla. It's brutal. Yeah. Godzilla gets tangled up in the cables of a suspension bridge. I don't know which one. I don't know New York that well. <laughs> and because she's stuck, it's blown apart yeah that's I mean that's enough to make kids cry and I think I remember Lyra being sad about it yeah. which can but sometimes convince you that the film is better than it is because yeah. they force it, it, you it, it in gets an emotional response but I don't Terminator know. 3 did that yeah 
Yeah, but I don't know if that was the intention in this. Are you supposed to feel sorry yes. for Godzilla? Yes, no, yeah, yeah. Really that, they're doing oh. King Kong, and oh. they at least get that about King Kong. <clears throat> okay. Because at the end they go, oh, there's an egg still. <clears throat> Sequel! I'm assuming that one that hatched out of the egg was the one that was thrown into Sydney Opera House and then exploded. Indeed. Most See, likely, this is, yes. this is what I mean about the slightly less mean than Michael Bay, though, because Michael yeah. Bay, there wouldn't be sympathy. It would be like, yay, we killed the monster. Yeah, Michael we Bay. on its head. I mean, like, he did that with Bumblebee in the original Transformers. When Bumblebee yeah, gets Bumblebee's snagged, a good guy. You're meant to feel sorry for Bumblebee. Yeah, yeah. you're not meant to feel sorry for any of the Decepticons. Yeah, you mean the first one where Steven Spielberg was behind him hitting with a stick a lot of the time. <laughs> he didn't hit him hard enough. Yeah, that's what I want the next Spielberg joint to be. Just him beating Michael Bay with it's a switch. Still the one where Bumblebee wheezes all over John Turturro. I didn't say it was perfect, and he got it right <laughs> all the time. But is that the was... worst Transformers film? That uh, is the best Transformers film. Not counting the 86 uh, yeah. classic. Here's a fun fact. Still haven't seen the uh, last two. <laughs> you win. You win Transformers. I haven't seen the last one either. Yeah. Speaking of utter fair, witless I, tedium. To be fair, my ultimate revenge was, you made me watch the Transformers, I made you watch Fast and Furious. That's a pretty good revenge. That's an excellent revenge. I, I want more of your revenge, Neil. Yeah. <laughs> So on to Godzilla 2014, continuing in the grand tradition of the wrath of Godzilla as witnessed by a boring white guy. Godzilla 2014 was directed by Gareth Edwards, who got the gig after putting together a supremely low-budget monster movie named Monsters. Has everybody seen Monsters? Yes, because you made me watch it. I didn't make you, I just said it was good. I think you sent me a copy, actually. I did. Good birthday present. Yes? No. Right. <laughs> Monsters is a weird one. There's a lot I like and a lot I dislike. Mm. It's 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 the Marmite film. I There's a lot I can really appreciate about it, and there's some stuff I don't like, but I would definitely say it's, it's worth a watch. It's, it's just not a, Marmite because I don't love it. Yeah, I just sort of like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite stilted. Yeah. Um, but I I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really really well made film. Um, I thought that uh, Edwards did a great job. I loved the the tone, the message, the way it was put together. Um, that whole sort of almost Cloverfield like you hardly mm. see anything, and that's what makes it. That's oh, it's so much it. better than Cloverfield. However, I prefer Cloverfield. Um, but what seemed to have happened in between Monsters and uh, Godzilla 2014, is they said, right, Gareth, can you come and make us a Tadukan with Monsters? And so they took <laughs> Monsters and stuffed it into a military fetishising monster movie and went, there you go, enjoy. First we start with a hummingbird. A what? Put that in a sparrow, stuff them both in a Cornish hen, then put that in a chicken, put all that in a duck, then in a turkey, then in a bigger turkey... Two turkeys? Hey, it's Thanksgiving. Put that in a penguin, stuff that in a peacock, then an eagle, shove it all in an albatross, then an emu, next comes an ostrich, then a leopard. Put all that in a pterodactyl, and then stuff it in a Boeing 747. What was that leopard for? Presentation. Explain military fetishizing, because I asked, why are we watching the army? Who could possibly care? And you made a fine point, which is like, I actually know that. Why did I forget it? Go for it. Why do we have the army in this film? Because the American 
audiences are not going to accept that we have no defense against this creature mm-hmm. that, that we've got to have it, it's it's Bay does this the most, yeah. and again, this is where he sort of encroaches on this one, even though the 2014 film is nothing like a Michael Bay movie, not really. Mm. Um, it's Should we call it The Godzilla, by the way, the as a signifier here? <laughs> the Godzilla. So it's Gojira, Godzilla, and The Godzilla. Okay. Um, but it has that sense of you're in a Call of Duty, and um, it, it's we have... Uniforms that everybody's going to recognise and weapons that everybody's going to recognise. And I said, and lengthy cut sequences which you might suddenly get control of during a slow mo gun sequence. Yeah, and and with a flare or something. Part of it, I, I. that, that struck me while I was watching it is this thing about if everybody's in realistic looking army uniforms and carrying realistic weapons, that's because the military gave them to them. Yeah. You get in with the military and you have to make the military look like they know what they're doing. Absolutely. You can't can't, ever criticise the military. You can't then set something up where they fail, where they don't. I mean, I know they don't. Then it's not the uh, outrageous success that it is in the 98 Mm. version. Um, But uh, but the whole... And and in fact, that does answer one of my questions where um, I said, how does Ford get a phone call saying, come to Japan immediately? And he goes to Japan immediately. Immediately, it's half, halfway around the world. As he you just tell got what enough next. money in his back pocket to buy a ticket to Japan mm. for that day. Well, I'm assuming he's got like army discount. Well, like get into a plane say. free card or yeah, something. But, I mean, he flies commercial. Okay. He, he's in a commercial airport, if I remember rightly. But yeah, it's he's obviously going for an important reason, mm. and they probably sorted something out for him. We never told you the plot of the '98 Godzilla film. Matthew Broderick is recruited whilst measuring earthworms which have grown seven whole percent larger to investigate a big footprint. Then Godzilla turns up in Manhattan. The entire island is safely and swiftly evacuated, leaving the model city his empty playground to romp around. Helicopters chase him. He hides in a sewer. Matthew Broderick, a reporter ex-girlfriend of his, a foolish cameraman and a French soldier, hunt for Godzilla exits. He can do that. They find low-resolution raptors, blow them all up, and are chased by Godzilla and the beast is killed by helicopters, leaving one surviving egg. The plot for this one is... A father and mother are a research team looking into a... <laughs> You're boring yourself already, aren't you? <laughs> Brian Cranston's living in Japan with his wife and small son. He, he and his wife, on his birthday, go to the nuclear power plant because there's an incident. Turns out there was a kaiju hatching underground, which creates a terrible meltdown that she is trapped in and dies as a result. Then we cut to ten years also, later. Also, many, many other people whose faces we don't even see. Well, she is literally the only person Screw them. Counts. They're not connected with Brian Cranston. Yeah. Um, then Brian Cranston... Screw that. Brian Cranston's not connected with this. Yes. <laughs> Brian Cranston... I'm going to say this. Two words that apply to this film. Bait and switch. Yeah. And cock tease. Or vagina tease. Oh, God. Okay. Um, okay, so... Brian Cranston's in it for a, a while, then we get to see his son, then his son's kind of more in it, then Brian Cranston dies, and uh, his son is now grown up and is worried about his family, but not much, because he's also trying to rescue people. You're kind of with this guy as Godzilla and some other kaiju are... He inadvertently seems to follow the story. It's really yeah. weird. You know what? I've seen this film three or four times now. And, like, there, there are these bug kaiju things called mutos, rodents of unusual size. Um, mm. And they eat nuclear 
material and grow more powerful as a result of it. So our weapons, our nuclear weapons, are ineffective against them. Because they just eat them. Yeah, because they just they become more powerful. So the only thing that can actually take them out is Godzilla, who is a, a, a similarly nuclear-created ancient beast combination, like nuclear awoken ancient beast who has evolved. And uh, they fight at the end, and he kill Godzilla kills them, and then swims away. That's the end. But boring white guys sort of stuck in the middle with him. I'll tell you what. This is the film that makes you realise uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson is dull. Yeah. Oh, so dull. What did right. you say? I said uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Aaron Taylor Johnson managed to fool me for quite a while that I really liked him. Um, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed um, Kickass. Um, and I thought he was great in that. And I loved him in Kick-Ass 2 um, and really enjoyed that. And What he is in uh, Age of Ultron is fun. Yeah, I, I do like him in Age of it's Ultron. It's really weird seeing him making out with his it's sister. It's so yeah. fucking weird. I'm, I'm just sat there watching it going, okay, so in my head... Is this the Ultimates as written by no, uh, Mark Miller? That, 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 no, that one wasn't Mark Miller. She That's was. the scary thing. <laughs> oh, who was, was that? Um, fucking Jeff Loeb. So, so um, yeah, Elizabeth Olsen walks into the kitchen and my brain immediately rewrites this family drama as um, Ford had a wife who died in childbirth and now he lives with his sister who raises his kid for him while he's off on military detail. And then they start making out on the sofa and it's really, really uncomfortable. Hey. Okay. I got a metaphor yeah, for so, you, folks. He's so boring in this and I can only assume that all of his ability is in his hair. <laughs> Yes. You shave it off, he is like Samson. Indeed. Okay, I got a metaphor for you, folks. It's a food metaphor. I know you guys like these, or hate them, but it's coming anyway. Godzilla 2014 makes mystifying misuse of its ingredients. It presents us with Brian Cranston losing his wife as a direct result of a nuclear disaster and the symbolic monster that stands for it, whilst at the same time being real. Then the monster comes back and Cranston is pissed. His son is desperate to see the man drop his Ahab-like fixation and just come home. He's the only parent Ford has left. This is the egg element of cake preparation. The father-son relationship makes for a strong binding agent, and it gives us something for the movie to be about. Either Cranston's obsession could be something Ford inherits after his father dies, giving him a vendetta against the beast, which should have been a Godzilla, by the way, not a Muto. So Ford should have been furious at Godzilla. Uh, one which he must painfully let go of at the end after reaching a more mature understanding of the beast's right to survive outside of mankind. Or, even better, it could be a father-son bonding movie with them starting off very hostile with one another and slowly as they are on this adventure they begin to explore the reasons for their resentment. And which is where I thought it was going! Me too. And on seeing the other's point of view they begin to soften. At the end, either the father dies or neither of them die. That's how Spielberg would have done it. That's how Abrams would have done it. The film is about something we can universally relate to. It just happens to have a big-ass lizard in the mix to symbolise the destructive power of human relationships, kind of like Colossal did in 2017. Effortlessly. I'm going to further use this food metaphor here. So Godzilla is a cake of a movie. 
and it was probably always going to be a cake considering the subject matter. Gareth Edwards presents us here with an egg and then sets it aside because we won't be needing this and thus Brian Cranston is killed suddenly halfway through in a way that impacts on Ford but doesn't directly affect the rest of the movie. So you're making a cake and halfway through making the mixture you have to extract the egg that you've already put in. No, you just you, you bring the egg here and you go you look at it and then you hold it up and you go right, might need that and chuck it in the sink. <laughs> The su- Oddly enough, Cranston looks like an egg. He does. A wrinkly <laughs> egg. The sugar for this cake is Godzilla. Edwards measures out a generous bowl, and then he tips two-thirds of it away because he's decided we only need a little bit of Godzilla. No, 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 no. no. He does the trick of, see, sugar, take it away. He gives you a little taste. Like Charlie goes, goes, see, sugar, I take it away. He dips and his finger in the sugar red. bowl and then pops it in your mouth, and he goes, look, you're about to see Godzilla, and then he takes it away. <laughs> At which point I was quite prepared to punch Gareth Edwards in the yeah. face after the second time. He's like, oh, the, the doors are closing. You're about to see Godzilla have a fight. And no. Um, there's that, that ludicrous moment when the like when Godzilla first turns up and squares up against the Muto and it's like, oh my god. And then we cut to this little kid who wakes up and he's watching the news and he's like, mommy, dinosaur. And we see a bit of this fight on the news and it's like, nope, you've had enough of that. And then they move on to the aftermath and it's like, there was a whole scene we were building up to there. Okay, and you know what? First time I was like, okay, an interesting choice. I didn't agree with it. That's fine. And then you mentioned the door scene. I actively flipped the screen off the second time (laughs) all that shit. I really love the Hawaii scene because you see the devastation of Godzilla actually arriving. And he inadvertently causing a disaster it's it's just the tidal wave of his arrival mm. it's a fantastic scene i actually really do enjoy the scene on the mon- is it a monorail the the, the airplane the, the airport the train. tube yeah yeah because i like that because once you actually get to see ford being paternal he's protecting mm. his it's not his child but he, he he becomes quickly a surrogate father to this child and again that could have been a great like through line through the whole movie he's taking care of this one kid mm. Yeah, but no, abandons then him. That begs the question: Why he needs his own kid back in San Francisco when he's got another kid to take care of here? Dramatic tension. Like I said, he chucks away two thirds of the sugar bowl. It's uh, while, like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park or the shark in Jaws, only having a little bit of Godzilla is fine. We don't necessarily need loads of him, and in fact, it could make the cake too sweet if you keep putting too much Godzilla in there. But we don't have an egg. We don't have anything holding the bowl after bowl of flour that Edwards is pouring into the mix. What we're left of at the end is a very big, very dry, very plain and stodgy cake that takes ages to eat. And all he's given us to wash it down with is water. Now, he did use most of the sugar that he kept to make a few dollops of buttercream icing at the end, which is Godzilla's final few moves where he really does feel like an awesome force of supernature. But once you see it the second or third time and you go i got to eat this whole cake again. Mm. you got to eat it all and just... Oh, so, um, okay, so let, let, let's compare this to another film that's kind of acknowledged and we kind of admit is bad, which would be Jurassic World. Mm-hmm. We've, how much oh, crap did we give because of that ending? See, I just I like it because Chris Pratt is fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, yeah, that it's, it's a fun ending and I like Michael Giacchino's score and I like the Jurassic Park feel and there are some funny lines in it it's not a great movie by any chance but what I mean is we forgive so much of that because the ending is so great yet we mm. kind of don't if this if this I'm not sure what it is but for some reason Godzilla 14 is like that you know it should, we should forgive more for that ending because mm. I punched the air when he used his breath yeah 
I really pushed it, and it's a great scene, but everything leading up to that just didn't work so well. Mm. I think the the uh, continuing with the cake metaphor for Jurassic World, I think Jurassic World gets the ingredients right. Mm. It just doesn't blend them properly. I suppose the binding agent there is Claire and her relationship to her the kids, but like yeah, but Claire he, has no relationship with the kids. Yeah, like the eggs in there, and it's just like it, like it's just sloshing around. It's covered in flour in one no, corner. No, you put and the it has egg a, in. You just didn't it, crack it first, <laughs> <laughs> so it's just rolling around. So I'm eating this cake and I'm spitting out bits of shell. <laughs> is the, hang on, is the bit of shell the horrible? attack scene to the PA. Yeah, yeah. So where that poor woman gets horribly mutilated by a pteranodon. Mm-hmm. That's the hot sauce that somebody decided to put in, the, in this cake. Yeah. So, yeah, like I say, once you have to eat the whole cake again for God, the Godzilla just to get to the buttercream at the end, resentment and irritation and a crushing disappointment set in. The original Godzilla wasn't a cake. It was three spoonfuls of medicine. Godzilla 98 was a cheap-ass supermarket own-brand pizza pretending to be something fancier, but not understanding why other pizza can be fancy after rogue one and despite quite liking monsters i honestly don't feel the least bit excited for any future projects that gareth edwards might be helping with has he got anything lined up i've not heard Rogue One did well it made a billion so oh i I know that it's just i don't i haven't actually heard gareth edwards name attached to it oh he's got loads monsters dark continent he's uh producing uh so it's a a follow-up to oh no Sorry, it was the crappy follow-up. Yep, sorry. No, he's not got anything on the slate. <laughs> oh, God. That's, like we said, we didn't particularly dislike Rogue One. It's not fantastic, but it could have been a hell of a lot worse. Also, it gave us... Bogolet! We'll know the truth! <laughs> I have a question, by the way, um, and I may be being ridiculously oversensitive with, with, with this, but I felt that... Um, Considering the origin of Godzilla and what it represents, setting part of this in Hawaii Mm. was really insensitive. Yeah. Mm, Yeah, I haven't thought of it that way, actually. Another scene of this film. How do you waste Ken Watanabe? Oh, my God, How is that freaking possible? At one point, David Strathairn... And Ken Watanabe are in the same room, classing it up. And I thought, you could just bring Brian Cranston in and just have these three guys and have them be the focus of the movie. Again, you've got these ingredients. You're not using them. I almost think... Don't kill Juliette Binoche. Yeah. And then just have uh, David Strathairn, Ken Watanabe and Brian Cranston being your three scientist guys that Mm. you suggested and just have them in a car with Juliette Binoche driving them around... Telling them how not to mess things up. This is when I said the only way it could get any classier is if Sir Michael Caine comes in with Patrick Stewart and Sir Ian McKellen and they all get on a submarine and it's like uh, the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou on the classiest submarine ever. And it's like, who's driving this thing? Let's all take turns on the wheel. They all go hunting for Godzilla under the waves and it's just, you know, beautifully directed by Wes Anderson. And suddenly it's a way better movie. You know what? I, I, another way this could have been better... Switch the roles. Make it Elizabeth Olsen that's the army, career army soldier. I'm fine with that. And make Aaron Johnson the stay-at-home dad or the nurse. That would have been different. Yeah. Give them both, like, concerted, like, proper arcs throughout the film. Yeah. Because, to be honest, at least Elizabeth Olsen isn't dull in this. She's not given much, but she bloody tries. No one has something inside that they need to get over. That's a huge problem. 
Another absolutely enormous problem. It's bigger than Godzilla itself, which, by the way, looks fantastic in this film and moves fantastically. Oh, he fantastically. is gorgeous. Like I said, the, the, the slowness, that when it turns around and you see the tail in the fog and then just the very slow... Just that the very slow movements sell the scale of that thing. The problem is there's no lighting at mm. all. <laughs> it's shot at night in a ruined city. And when Godzilla fights these insect bug things and not one light is on, I'm like squinting through the darkness and going, what's happening? And like, I like, w- well, this thing's hitting that thing. I'm like, oh, well, that must look good. You know, if it was well most, lit, that would be good. One of the most awesome things about Gypsy Danger is she brings her own lights. Lights, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she uses a, 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 a was it a tanker as a, a baseball bat? Yeah. I will forever love that scene. Actually, to be fair, my favorite, one of my favorite scenes in this, apart from the breath thing, where I literally did punch the air with joy because it looks so good. Yeah. Um, I really like the halo drop scene. I know you complain about it being dark, but that is yeah, that's a very nice unique action color. scene. It's yeah, it's very something I've not seen done before. So I like that idea of how they pulled that off. Like you said, it's just tr- you're troubled later on by the time when they get there. It, a lot of it is in the freaking dark, mm. and it doesn't really come to anything. Like they're they're doing a halo jump to get in there, and it's got that visually striking. Oh, got the 2001 music and the the red flares, which remind me of uh, the uh, red dust trails in uh, the Last Jedi. Mm. And then they get to the ground, and they may as well have come into the city through a tunnel at that point. It's like, why did they have to do the halo jump? Yeah, this is this is a big issue that I have with the military angle on this film, is that it, very little of it seems to have a consistent through line. Mm. There, there's no real reason or sense to the things that happen. There are just certain things that have to happen, mm. and they have to get to... like like. There's a, a throwaway line around the beginning where Ford tells his dad that he works for um, ordnance disposal mm. crew. He dispo- he's disposes of bombs. It's only relevant so that he can turn the bomb off at the end. Something he doesn't do. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. This film is all about being literally in the right place at the right time for mm. no precise lucky. reason. Being yeah. super lucky. Being lucky. And you're if ex- he's that lucky, he should go to freaky. Oh no, I was going to say he should go to Vegas, but yeah, the Nuto took care of that, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Step on it. Um, but you're absolutely right about swapping um, Taylor Johnson and Olsen's roles around. Mm. And and uh, apart from anything else, that would make the whole she's stranded on a train with this kid that's not hers. Yeah the more poignant because she actually has a connection and a bond with that little boy at the beginning. Ford is not there long enough mm. for you to see any kind of bond and therefore there is no ache in the fact that he's separated from him from the, for the rest of the film. All he's doing is telling his family to stay put mm. in the centre of the danger, I might add, um, so that he can come and get them out. I have heard people, back to the lighting thing, complaining that uh, Pacific Rim is poorly lit and also that the kaiju and the... What? Uh, I know, I, I think so too. Uh, that the kaiju... Uh, uh, it's the opposite of what they're saying. Uh, the, the, the kaiju and the Jaegers are so big that you can barely see them. Again, that's the point. They're so much bigger than just Gundam suits. They're, they 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 are they break the frame. They are you couldn't take them in with just a single camera thing. And if you did, 
they would then seem small, especially in yeah. 3D. Like no, a little no, no, Jaeger exactly. walking out into the in front of you, like, oh, it's like a little action figure. That's exactly the point. The minute you try and put a lot of these, lo- unless you've got something next to them for context, mm. it, you make the things seem smaller. Yeah. Um, but they, um, they, they, uh, Del Toro lit those scenes with helicopters flying around them and, and like, you know, fall, you know, buildings where the lights were all on in very vibrant cities. Yeah. And ships with lighting hanging off the rigging yeah. and bioluminescence and um, internal nuclear reactors. By comparison, remember that scene with the train in the jungle in Godzilla? Uh, the Godzilla when there is like total darkness and there's a Muto out there and they find it in the dark and I'm just like I'm staring at this grey smudge grey on grey and I keep saying every frame of painting because every frame I'm looking at just looks like nothing and I'm like every frame of painting it's a blackwash every frame of painting just a load of grey shit just this this looks like ass and I've been so good not bringing this up because I will say as much as I do enjoy 2014 even despite a lot of its flaws but you know what this film made me want to watch Kong Skull Island. Yeah, because you know what? You want paintings? Yeah. Oh my god, that film just to look at is visually beautiful. But uh, my favorite, you know, you want something that just, just if you want a, a story beat summed up in a single image, a freeze frame. Mm-hmm. Samuel L. Jackson surrounded by fire, looking at Kong, glaring at Kong. Yeah, that's exactly. Kong. I knew exactly what moment you were going to go for there. That that literally says everything you need to know in a single image. It's the Ahab-like hatred and obsession, which I'm just talking about here, that Brian Cranston should have had. Yes. You killed my wife. That's the story right there. And then he either lets it go at the end or he can't and his son has to let it go. And it's like in here we have this weird... The only way I can think of describing it in twenty four in the Godzilla is, is the bonding scene. The bonding look where... Godzilla's been knocked down and is having a hell of a time. Mm, it co- mm. And Johnson looks over and they both just seem to share this look of shit there, <sighs> innit? Yep. Yeah, I, again, I like that. You know, if it was better lit, it would actually be a really nice it's, shot. It is, but in the context of that film, it's so out of place almost. I do like the scene when um, Godzilla roars and those uh, lanterns are in the way. So when you get his breath and they react in the wind it gives him a sense of presence. And it's something that you haven't seen before that gives it its own identity. Uh, and another weird one, I, and I love it, is we think Godzilla dies. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's having a nap. <laughs> yeah. He needed a nap. He, he took it out of him, big guy. But then he gets up and starts walking off, and everyone starts cheering. Yeah. In the context of the audience, yes, the audience should cheer. It's Godzilla, that's what we're here for, we should cheer. But the, 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 the citizens of San Francisco that have seen their city devastated, God knows how many dead, yeah. are cheering him going? It's I like mean, well, cheering a tornado as a tornado leaves. Yeah. Hooray. It, that, 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 again, slightly weird yeah. things that don't add up to me. Do you remember I, that I, bit I, when it goes, through Ve- it goes through Vegas and like it cuts to a, a, a Vegas hotel room and a door opens and it's got a bit of Elvis singing, you're the devil in disguise. And the soldiers run through and look out and the, the whole uh, room has been torn asunder. And it's like, what was this bit in? Like this it's, it's doesn't the match the tone of the rest of it. It's like a bit from a Transformers movie. It's weird because he's trying to make some con- uh, comment on the way that how people just literally ignore the big natural disaster heading towards them and just to carry on doing the, the gambling. It's weird. Yeah. Okay. So in closing, 
on a personal level, Godzilla, along with all their versions of King Kong and Power Rangers, which are tangentially linked, do not have a deep and lasting appeal for me. In some instances, they have symbolism, often quite heavy-handed, but that on its own doesn't make for a great movie, no matter how bleak and sobering it is. Sometimes they have fun sequences, but again, that's not enough to sustain interest for me. What all of them lack, aside from that Peter Jackson King Kong and the 2017 Power Rangers movie, is characters with an arc, people who learn and develop in a way that mirrors the conflict. That's what I respond to. Spectacle on its own for me is is hollow. That doesn't mean that everyone has to agree with me. This is just the things that I, I've mentioned them time and time again on this show. I'm, I am waiting for a writer-director to come along. The idea of a writer-director, someone who really cares about it enough to be able to write it and direct it, so they're not just like either that or they work in close collaboration with their writer. You know how some of the best horror films have been from a writer-director, someone who takes their horrors and puts them onto the screen for us. But someone who comes along who loves Godzilla and dreams of what he could be and develops a personal vision that brings this simple tale of human civilization encountering both a relic of prehistory and a product of the nuclear age. And it's going to take that as a grand context for a much smaller personal human story to really make for a crowd pleaser. Because again, it's not just that this doesn't please me. People didn't love the original 2014 Godzilla. People didn't love the 1998 Godzilla. And from the sounds of it, American audiences didn't exactly warm to King of the Monsters, the Aaron Burr. There's Aaron Burr. <laughs> King of the Monsters, the Aaron Burr story. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon me. Are you Raymond Burr, sir? getting nervous. I don't see how with their current track record, uh, Warner Brothers can hope to compete with Marvel which is what they're doing with this universe when their headlining heroes can only be on screen for about 15 minutes of each movie and can't talk This would be mitigated with a Monarch team that were consistently developed throughout each movie but so far we've had two crews of fine actors separated by geography and a span of decades who are never really all on the same page and who keep dropping like flies. Warner mm. Brothers are literally killing the audience's ability to engage. Peter Jackson dealt with that by making Kong the star and giving him a story to live through, elaborating upon the 30s original. It would be a challenge indeed to make us genuinely feel for this behemoth lizard. All that said, Godzilla is one of the indelible stars of cinema, more significant and recognisable than most of the monsters and heroes and villains of the 20th century. Movie studios will keep trying, and one day they might well strike a Pacific Rim. Yeah, so that, that'll do for Godzilla, I think. I, that's uh, We gave it as you know as, as good as we could possibly get it uh, on this one, considering that none of the three films are particularly beloved uh, to, to Sharon and I. Uh, you know, I, I have respect for the original. I have derision for that, uh, that middle one. And the 2014 one just feels like a co- colossal series of wasted opportunities. 
It really is. <clears throat> but I just, I like the Godzilla in it. And I would like yes. to see that Godzilla come back and be well lit and actually start. To, I, I love the bit where he's about to go under the bridge, but then he realizes he's about to, he would wreck the bridge if he went under it because he's poking out too far above the water and he holds back and actually that he is considerate of people. He may be this giant god creature, but yeah. yeah, he has intelligence and that's way better than the, uh, uh, the 98 one managed. Yeah, no, I, I love that design. I know that some of the Japanese mocked it saying he was a bit fat, but as a look, I think that is a, a really good look for him. You, you get the sense of power from him as well. Mm. And guess what? I need no freaking explanation where his nuclear breath comes from. All I need to know is he's going to use it because it looks fucking badass. Yeah, actually, when the tail slowly lit up and that you're like sort of, oh my God. It, that, that grin starts to spread. You're like, I know what's coming. And he literally just blows it down his throat. It's like, oh. Like I said, that's the buttercream. That's when like you've been eating this stodgy old cake and you're just like, oh, oh, big old dollop of buttercream. Thank you very much. And then it ends. And you're like, well, that ended. <laughs> it's certainly finished. <laughs> I, I think... I hate to say, I think Gareth Edwards is very, very good at setting up some stunning visuals. I'm not convinced on his character work. I think that's where the problem comes in. I say, I mean, Aaron Taylor Johnson is so dull. Yeah. And I'm, I'm with Sharon. I think I was tricked because I liked him in Kickass. I haven't seen Kickass too. I liked him in, in Age of Ultron. Mm. You know, he was really funny, and I was really gutted he died. But I kind of also guess that was coming. But then you see him in this, he's like, huh. So you did see that coming. Okay, so uh, until the next Godzilla film comes out, uh, I think we, we actually we did review, Sharon and I, uh, all the King Kongs. So uh, we did uh, the 30s one, the 70s one. We did. It's on file. We did the <laughs> 30s one, the 70s one, the Jackson one, which is our favourite, and uh, a little bit on Skull Island, which I recorded, and you hadn't at that time seen it. We might do a little bit of an addition to it, but that show will be out at some stage. Uh, yeah, to be fair, you had an easier time. You don't want to do... 30 other films. Yeah. There are other appearances from King Kong over the years, which we just wanted to hop and skip over. But, uh, yeah, until the Monarch universe comes back and really blows our socks off, uh, that will do for um, for Godzilla for now. And uh, I will just... I, you know, I forgot to mention that my um, first exposure to Godzilla was not any of the films. It was the... Was it Hanna-Barbera mm-hmm. animated show yeah. where they summoned Godzilla by pressing a little um, walkie-talkie button that summoned him from the depths? And it was like Kung Fu uh, or any other TV show where... Po- oh, The Incredible Hulk, where it's like, oh, God, how are we going to get rid of these poachers? I don't know how we're going to... Let's summon Godzilla. And at the end, Godzilla would turn up and be hideously overpowered to deal with whatever they were dealing with. Yeah. And he had Godzuki, who was like a <laughs> scrappy-do of Godzilla's. Yep. From the depths, 30 stories high, breathing fire, his head in the sky, Godzilla, 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 and Godzilla. The chances of Godzilla, King of Mom, King of the Monsters, blowing your socks off, kind of low, oh, because yeah? it's from the director. Sorry, it's it's been directed and written by the guy that wrote X Men Apocalypse. Miss Michael Doherty. Yeah. <laughs> ah, there goes my uh, expectations. I, they appear to have fallen through the floor. 
Godzilla, King of the Monsters. They've named it after the Raymond Burr version. Evidently. The next chapter in Warner Brothers Pictures in the legendary uh, picture cinema, uh, cinematic Monsterverse, an epic action adventure that pits Godzilla against some of the most popular monsters in pop culture history. So there's going to be more than one, and I'm seeing yep. the outline of Mothra. Yeah. Mothra's, Mothra's there. Mothra may be the only other kaiju out there with more of an earworm than Godzilla in terms of music. That Mothra theme, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose he's better than the 98 Godzilla wherein Puff Daddy disgraces himself. No, 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 no. That never happened. By. No. By. No. Turning. No. Cashmere. Into a cash grab. And also there's a, like, on the soundtrack, there's Deeper Underground by Jamiroquai and Brain Stew by Green Day with added Godzilla screams. Eh? Yeah. I, will, I played it earlier in the uh, podcast. That's a uh, that's a good Thank one. God, I don't have to listen to the music sometimes. Yeah, that was uh, one of the that was one of those like in the, it was the nineties. You buy the music uh, in uh, from and inspired by the movie. In other words, not from the movie. Cast for Godzilla: King of the Monsters, even if it does have this uh, uh, Michael Doherty uh, doing the uh, directing, and he previously directed. Ugh. Oh, he's one of he's one of. Trick or treat. Trick or treat. That yeah. thing. He's one of Brian Singer's little boys. Um, um, careful how you say that. Bad phrasing. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, bad phrasing. He directed Krampus, so obviously he's the he's the guy to direct uh, the the new Godzilla movie. Uh, but it does have Sally Hawkins, Millie Bobby Brown, Vera Farmiga. Bradley- Let's get Ken back. Ken Watanabe's back. Can we do something with him this time? Let them fight. Uh, Bradley Whitford's in it, Charles Dance is in it, classing the joint up. Um, really? Go yeah. watch Space Truckers and tell me he classes anything Oh, up. yeah, he does have that chainsaw penis, doesn't he? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not, it's, it's not actually a chainsaw. Yeah. It's, okay. He has to go... It's an outboard motor penis. And on that bombshell, outboard motor penis. You didn't think you'd hear any Godzilla? I leave you with Puff Daddy... No! <laughs> Thank you very much to Neil Taylor. Where can people find your work? You can find me over on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash thekiddog, where I bring you video gaming history videos. The production of School of Movies is funded by Patreon, and our special $15 sponsors get a kaiju-sized thank you, and that's Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Sarah Montgomery, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow. Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, David Garcia Abril, and Lorraine Chisholm. And we will be back next week with a show all about the comic book series Saga by Brian K. Vaughan and illustrated by Fiona Staples. And after that, it's Avengers Infinity, and we are both 
desperate to see it and terrified of what might happen, just like most people. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's Out. Let you go, I can't forget it Why you 
Come with me, come with me, come with me, come with me.